0: And today I have Marco Santori, uh, an attorney at Cooley LLP. And Marco uh, works with uh, cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, and blockchain technologies in the um, addressing the legal questions surrounding these technologies.
1: So how are you doing, Marco? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. I don't know if I gave a uh, good introduction, but can you tell folks uh, maybe a little bit more detail about what you do and how you work? know around the legal issues regarding these technologies sure
1: uh, so I'm a partner at uh, Cooley it's an international law firm I lead the FinTech team at Cooley which is financial technology one of the financial technologies and technologies in general that I focus on is blockchain technology and of course Bitcoin And uh, I've been doing it since gosh since back uh, when we were still calling this stuff well, and since we were calling blockchain Bitcoin 2.0, and of course nobody calls it that anymore, but um, those, uh, those 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 were the heady days, I guess, of uh, 2012 when I
0: first got involved. Okay. So, what kind of um, clients are you guys getting? You know, obviously without disclosing names, but what kind of situations are you called in to address? Is it just Companies don't know what legal issues affect them or are they having problems or, you know, what's going on in the landscape?
1: Yeah, the you know, we, we like to think we represent some of the best companies in the space, um, but we do uh, primarily regulatory work. So companies will come to us when they have, um, well, my team in particular, we're a full service law firm. We do incorporation and tax and litigation and white collar criminal defense and you name it. Um, but as far as the horsepower that my team brings to a transaction or any real project is regulatory. So, um, people come to us with a twinkle in their eye. They, they will say, Hey, we have this idea for a product or a business. Can you tell us how it's treated under the law? Can you tell us whether this token we're creating, for example, is a currency or is it a security or is it a commodity derivative uh, or a security derivative there's 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 a whole lot of possibilities when you're creating something brand new like this to do very weird stuff and to implicate a whole bunch of different laws that you know you never really thought would apply um, so look what what we do is a lot of telling people what the law is, but we also help people strategize and think through the business plan and think about the legal consequences and try to find something efficient try to find something practical that works so we do what yeah. I like to call whiteboard lawyering um one of the one of the great things about Cooley I just I just joined uh, a couple uh, a couple of months ago I was I was at another international firm before Cooley but one one of the first things I noticed at Cooley is that there's a whiteboard in every room and I feel like that that really sends the right signal for <laughs> first of all it sent the right signal to me um because I feel like if I don't have a dry erase board, a uh, dry erase
0: marker in my hand, I kind of have a speech impediment. Well, I like that fact because, you know, a traditional law firm, the attorney would come in with a yellow pad, you know, in the old days with <laughs> their, their own computer, but a whiteboard seems to, you know, signify a collaboration between attorney and client and ideas and, you know, working together to figure stuff out. That's my feeling when you say that. It's true.
1: And look, it, it may be a small thing, but when you open up a laptop in a meeting, it kind of signals to the other person that your attention is divided. So the mm. whiteboard is, is actually, I, I, I think it's an essential tool to trade. But, you know, we don't just do um, regulatory status determinations, as, as that's called. We help people if uh, they get a nasty letter from a state or a federal regulator. Um, saying, mm. hey, why don't you have this license? Or hey, aren't you selling uh, an unregistered security to the public? Um, oh, yeah. We we do quite a bit of that work as well, and that's regulatory defense. So once you've once you've gotten
0: in trouble, we can we can help them. Mm. Do you work with clients just in the United States or in other countries as well?
1: Now we work with clients all around the world. So for example, I'm here. Uh, I'm here uh, in the office of Blockchain. Blockchain.info is probably the it's probably how it's, okay. how it's better known to most people in the industry. I'm uh, I'm their global policy council, and uh, they're a Luxembourg-based company with offices in London and New York City. So that's you know, one example, huh. but a lot of our clients are international, and we have offices internationally. We have offices in China and in the EU. So um, we can advise on a lot of different laws and that makes sense, right? All these companies are, they're, they're international companies. There's there's no reason why the service people are offering on blockchain should be any different in the U.S. than it is in right. the EU or in the Middle East or anywhere else. Uh, it's just the laws that make that distinction. And that's what we're here for.
0: Yeah, I would guess you're probably encountering three kinds of, Dispositions, you know, friendly, unfriendly, and unknown, in terms of the countries that you know are contemplating blockchain and technologies. So, what, um, which ones do you consider friendly? Which ones unknown? And which ones unfriendly? Maybe just the top few of each. You know,
1: I think that's right, but it's 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 less of a categorical description and more of a continuum. So, in the U.S., the U.S. was really the first country to tackle the digital currency issue um, and now it's uh, the first country to tackle the blockchain technology issue more generally and other places uh, around the world like europe and in particular really the eu um, they're they they've they've looked at what the us has done they've learned from our mistakes they learned from our successes and now they're just sort of frankly now they're 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 catching up not in terms of quality but in terms of quantity there was just less law in the eu there were fewer determinations uh, at any given point over the last few years in the eu than there were in the u.s the u.s really really took the lead on trying for consistency and trying for clarity Um, and look it's debatable as to whether we've achieved much of that i think that we have in a lot of circumstances and I think that the regulators are to be thanked for that. But there's a lot of stuff regulators have done that we shouldn't be thanking them for. Um, it's it's uh, it's it's been a very long road here in the U.S. And a lot of other countries have, have been watching. A lot of the regulators in other countries have been watching to see what we've been doing. Um, there's been some good stuff coming, particularly out of the UK. I think they're they've generally taken the right approach. Um, we have uh, still sort of. An, Enigmatic approach from places like Russia and China. Um, some countries in Africa have been pretty unfriendly to the technology in
0: general. Right. Um,
1: and South America, I think a lot of people still have their eyes on the countries in South America, wondering, you know, what uh, what direction uh, what direction regulation is going to take there, given the, the pretty obvious applicability to some of the problems that. Uh, are plaguing those countries financially
0: yeah what what if uh, so of the countries that are uh, currently unfriendly towards um, digital currencies, are you saying that's just spurring the adoption or are you saying that that's uh, really putting a damper on people doing that kind of stuff?
1: Now, you know I think it, it it i think it puts a feeling on the speed at which adoption can occur I think that it's sort of a lot of lost opportunities when a government is lined up in um, an adversity to something like this. Uh, if, you know, here in the U.S., we've had robust development trying to catch up and keep up, I should say, with the development of the technology from a regulatory perspective. Um, and... Frankly the federal government has taken a measured approach. the states have taken measured approaches um, but when the government speaks out against digital currencies it's 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 all too often done in an ill informed way and in sort of a blanket statement way and that's usually the case um, because the people making the statements don't have a lot of experience with digital currencies and they have to and that concern usually gives way to the fact that they have a consumer protection mandate. And yeah, maybe they don't get it a hundred percent right when they send out the warning for digital currencies, but at least they warned the populace. At least they got people thinking, at least they raised people's defenses from their perspective. This is, this is how they're thinking. Um, But look at this is, this is the real world and that has negative consequences. So, I I think that it really does put a ceiling on the speed at which adoption can occur in a country.
0: Those are the ones that are forward thinking and you know not just assuming this is the wild west and they're going to do whatever they want and to heck with the governments. You know, um, so you know I think I missed the first part of that question. You oh, uh, you it. know, sure. Yeah, what I was going to say is, um, do you in, so in this space? Do you see most of the companies are cognizant of the fact that, yes, laws and regulations will apply to them, and are they coming to you first? Were you seeing that there's still many companies that are just like, hey, we're going to do what we want, and we don't think the laws apply, and you know this is an unregulated space, and we're just going to go and do stuff first and ask for forgiveness later?
1: I got to say, it's about half and half, um, really about half and half, and the uh, Stereotypes that you think might apply actually do apply. We, I mean, I don't know of many companies at all, many young companies, startups uh, at all that are based on the East Coast that have um, taken the uh, beg for forgiveness, don't ask permission approach. But I know a ton of companies on the West Coast that do it all the time. And it's it seems to be geographic. I mean, it's 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 this stereotype that totally rings true. Um, that I'll have a company, the kinds of companies that come to me from the West Coast. It's it, there's so many that are already offering a product to consumers, and are now just kind of losing sleep about their regulatory position because an investor asked them about it, and they come to me you know, later on during the process when they've already potentially broken the law, but folks on the East Coast will usually involve me earlier. They'll they'll involve me in the whiteboard phase, which is obviously where I can do the most good and where my team can do the most good. Um, But you have to weigh that of course with market timing and all of the MVP rocket ship vocabulary that
0: people love using um, when you're when you're a young company. Um, what are some of the um, maybe the top three or four issues that tend to affect um, you know digital currency companies or even just pure blockchain companies that are offering tokens that you know are really not for um, a store of value?
1: Yeah, if, so if if you're talking about app coins, it's it's something that we have a lot of experience with. It's 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 one of the areas of technology that's very close to my heart. I think there's a lot of good there and a lot of possibility there. But I also see a lot of bad stuff happening in that space. Um, So I I recently wrote an article on Coindesk um, called AppCoin Law, um, part one, how to ICO the right way. Um, or hmm. something along those lines. All I know is that Coindesk is after me for part two and three because I, I think it was pretty clear that it was supposed to be a three-part series. And we've only published one part. But in any event, um, yeah, The look, the, I, I think that it's people call it a legal gray area. I, I, I hate that word. There's, there is no such thing as a legal gray area. There is, there is something really? that's either well-developed, not well-developed, or developing. And
0: well, it's interesting world, you say that. You know. Yeah, because I have a quick question about that. I have heard that term quite a bit, and what I what I see happens, again, being an outside, when something is called a legal gray area, what I see people do, is, lawyers do, is they'll say, oh, it looks like uh, this law may apply, and it looks like that law may apply. And it actually seems to be in a, a far worse thing to be in a legal gray area than to have clear legislation on things and regulation, because it seems to expose you to far more problems.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. And that's why so many investors in particular seek cer- seek certainty. They're obviously concerned with, you know, they want um, a particular area of technology to not have to be freed from legal impediments, but more than that, they usually just want to know which of those areas of the technology are and which aren't. So certainty, I think, is sometimes valued above getting it right. Um, And that's not just in blockchain technology or in Bitcoin, or it's really in all areas of the law. Sometimes when it comes to business, you just want to know what you can and can't do and you'll develop around it, um, right? And that's, you know, that's that, that's 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 absolutely the case for a lot of the people I work with. Um, but yeah, look, um, app coins are, are are an area that I do a lot of. I, I've been doing a lot of work, in recently, as a team, we've done, we've done, or are in the middle of doing half a dozen app coin projects right now. Um, and they aren't all ICOs. They're app coins of, of, of different kind. And I think that well, raising money by using app coins is, a, is very cool. I think it has a lot of promise. And I think it could really be like the next Kickstarter. Um, I think there's a lot of future to it. But, of course, what, what are the issues? Securities law issues. Obviously, those are the first and, most, uh, first and foremost in people's minds when they think about selling their app coin to try to raise money because they're trying to raise money. So of course you think about the securities law, That's it's fine. But there's all kinds of ways to raise money. And just because you sold something before you had a product doesn't mean it's a secure. That is a, that is lazy armchair lawyering. Um, sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. And that's why, and that's why you've heard a lot of commentators and you've seen a lot of commentators come out against app coins in general and just Dismissing them as a class, um, I don't think that's crazy. I do think it's wrong. I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's just lazy analysis uh, most of the time. But look, some of these things are scams, and some of them are trying to sell securities and raise money from the public. That, that's just right. some, some things are good. Quick
0: question. Like yeah, quick question for listeners: what What are uh, some examples of app coins? Just so it's clear. Sure. So app coins are cryptographic tokens
1: on decentralized networks um, that give the holder of the coin or the person who has control of the coin by knowing the private key um, and the address on the network, uh, it gives those people some kind of right or power right on the network, power in the real world, uh, to effect change on the network. So in the case of REP, um uh, Augur rep token auger, yeah. reputation token uh, reputation mm-hmm. tokens rep tokens um, permit you they give you the power to resolve prediction markets that are built on top of the auger platform um, and they also come with in order to in addition to those powers they come with some rights you get you if you resolve for example again using auger if, if you resolve markets correctly or with the majority of the people who are resolving markets, you get more rep. If you don't, you lose your rep. Um, mm. So app coins have some kind of power uh, or and oftentimes obligations that come along with them. Um, and you can compare that to something, and I, I, I won't name anyone in, in, in particular, but you can compare an app coin like that, a true app coin is like that one of these coins that really doesn't stand for any power on the network or some trivial um, some trivial power on the network, some nominal power on the network and really all it does is entitle, entitle you to payouts as that company makes money
0: mm-hmm. Are
1: those okay. bad things? Well you know, it, de- it depends on, on your morality but I can tell you what the law says. The law says those securities, things like that that are structured really just so that they can they can stand for some right to future profits in the company. That thing has been a security for hundreds of years, certainly right. before Bitcoin was a thing, before Bitcoin 2.0 was a thing, before blockchain technology was a thing.
0: So well, it makes sense because it resembles a security. It smells like one, tastes like one, so it, you know, it probably <laughs> is.
1: Well, look, that, but see that, that's exactly the kind of analysis that I warn against like, that that, that look and smell, that 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 smell test kind of attitude is, I think it's I think it's fud. I think it's it's the kind of thing that inhibits growth in the industry. I think it turns a lot of people off. That it shouldn't be turning off. There is a there is something called <laughs> just to check myself. There is something called the family
0: resemblance test, but it doesn't apply to these kinds of potential securities. Gotcha. Okay. All right, so there's potential securities issues. What other issues are big ones in the space? How about, you know, are you a money transmitter? Um, you know, what other top issues do you see yeah. companies in this space face? Look, there's, there's, it's,
1: it's really the trifecta of what we do. It is the securities issues that we talked about. There's the money transmission issues, which people have been talking about since Bitcoin. Right? Am I accepting and transmitting funds as a business? And then there are the um, commodities issues, which, which are just coming into play now, where people can do all kinds of cool things with commodity derivatives, swaps, options, futures, forwards, hmm. all those things that folks at CFTC are very familiar with, the Commodity Futures and Trade Convention. Um, and folks on the financial markets are relatively familiar with, the people in Bitcoin are usually not. Um, and I can name a few more. That, that's 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 really the the core of the issue: securities, money transmitters, or money securities, money services, and commodity derivatives. Um, of course, there's mm. tax there's taxation issues. Right, the Coinbase saga that's unfolding right now is one of those. Um, there are there is is an example of that. I should say um, of of the tax issues. In addition to that, there's there's state consumer protection gambling law issues, gaming law issues. Um, yeah. Those are the kind of things that we deal with. People who are doing new and cool and innovative things often run up against really old laws that were never really meant to cover this stuff. Huh. But, you know, you have a young, pro- a young, aggressive prosecutor who wants to make a name for himself and stretch those laws to cover these things. Um, it's,
0: it's, it's something new every day. Well, let's focus for a few minutes on the CFTC stuff, you know, options, futures, etc. You know, there's been talk of uh, Bitcoin ETF. I haven't heard much talk of options on cryptocurrencies, but, you know, where are we at with that in the space? Is it possible? Is it coming soon? Is it way off in the future? You know, what do you, what do you see? Well, we have derivatives on top of Bitcoin right now,
1: so that's an easy one. We we have right. licensed swap execution facilities out there now that uh, are authorized to sell options to the public. Um, there are there are, I should say options and also some margin products to the public. Um, there was a saga recently with Bitfinex um, that mirrored. Those issues, they were debating settlement times and, um, and the other sorts of things that come into play with with CFTC
0: regulation. Um, so well, margin I've heard about a bit, but what about um, options products? Who who do you know in the space that's doing options, and what do they look
1: like? You know, I can't name any offhand. Certainly, none that I could I could talk about publicly. But okay. um, I mean, look, the idea is that. You can enable synthetic exposure, and now we can kind of shift into, into the non-Bitcoin assets. With a smart contracts platform like Ethereum um, or maybe Rootstock on Bitcoin one day, um, you can enable synthetic exposure to pretty much any asset you want. And you might cover that exposure, right? You might actually have the asset, and, and you, can, um, you can hedge – your exposure, but maybe you don't want too many. Maybe you just want to gamble. Really, for the first time in history, you don't need any intermediary to settle that transaction. You can just you can just do it using an Ethereum
0: contract. Okay. Any other um, issues in, in the options, futures, and you know, ETF space that are coming that are important? Well, the ETFs, right is a is is a, is a security, um, right,
1: and that's 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 an SEC issue. And, you know, the SEC has kicked the can down the road on this, which I don't. I find it hard to judge them for. It's 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 a complex decision given their mandate. Um, hmm. But yeah, look as far as the as far as commodity futures go, um, the Commissioner Giancarlo now acting chairman, I should say, Giancarlo uh, of CFTC has been very, uh, very clear about his first do no harm approach. Um, I think that the future is probably bright um, for commodity options um, or commodity derivatives, I should say, under the Giancarlo regime. And I, 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 I guess the Trump administration generally. Uh, coming up for
0: uh, for blockchain developers, what about um insurance? Is there anyone trying to offer insurance on you know uh, locked wallets um, on smart contracts going wrong uh, you know those kinds of things losses in this area I got to tell you
1: i don't know i don't know you know there's a lot of ins- there's a lot of bonding obviously that's a l- well, I, sh- I, sh- I should say there's a lot of demand for bonding as more and more innovative companies are seeking money transmitter licenses. you got to have a surety bond. Um, but as far as pure insurance plays go, I-, I think that it's still very rare, and I'd actually be interested to see if maybe uh, there are uh, – their insurance agents that have any experience in this area that, that you might interview for this? Cause really there's, there's not a lot of options out there for people who want to insure Bitcoin holdings. Um, yeah. I know that mm-hmm. Zappo, when they first offered their insured products, they were self-insuring by, with, uh,
0: with a captive. Okay. Um, any differences you see in amongst the different cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, Is it being treated any differently from other coins that are, you know, that are monetary coins, not app coins?
1: Well, you know, it's it's this interesting phenomenon that when when FinCEN first came out with their with their famous or infamous based, I guess, based on the ask guidance in March of 2013, they said uh, virtual currencies in general, or convertible virtual currencies in general, I should say, are going to be regulated in this way. They didn't say, you know, Bitcoin, but they made it very clear that Bitcoin was 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 included in that category. But because they didn't say Bitcoin, because they said it's just like there's this category that we're going to regulate, people just kind of assume that if it's if it's coin, if it's a dis- if it's a distributed point, it's a convertible virtual currency. But that is mm-hmm. yet to be tested in any court, so mm-hmm. we actually don't know whether there are any other virt- convertible virtual currencies besides Bitcoin. I think that then probably has would 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 say that there are, but we don't know, and so that's, that's mm-hmm. one of the nuances that right now that that, that comes into play and pretty much. Every money transmitter analysis I do that, that, is not, that, that involves some other coin beyond Bitcoin is that you know, people will build a new coin, but it, it won't actually be exchanged for goods and services. Maybe it won't be used as a currency, but it will be used as a store of value. Maybe it's, it's the weirdest thing. I just had this project the other day where a coin was a unit of account but it was not a currency and it was a store of value only for up to 30 days. Um, And it just, there's so many bizarre permutations on the, on the theme of, you know, what is funds for the purposes of the bank secrecy act that you can't just do that again, lazy armchair lawyering and assume that because it's like Bitcoin, it's a convertible virtual currency and it's, and it's regulated Mm. like that. Interesting, okay.
0: What, why is there a gulf between um, crossing from fiat to crypto and crypto back to fiat, and it seems to be so much less of a problem going crypto to crypto? You know, that, it seems like there's a moat and you have, or a chasm and you've got to cross into this new world that's, that's crypto and come out of this world and the regulation seems to uh, be harder when you do that.
1: So that, it's a great point. And it's and it's an, and it's a distinction I have to make probably at least once a week that the regulations aren't any different. If you if you read the the guidance um, closely, the guidance from FinCEN closely,
0: it's very clear
1: that convertible virtual currencies like Bitcoin are treated the same as real currency, as they called it, you know, U.S. dollars, government currencies, um, hmm. under the Bank Secrecy Act freedom to say. And so legally there there really is no chasm, there is no mode. But practically, well of course there is. If if, if I want to change my um you know my ETC into BTC or into Dash or Monero or whatever it is, I can go to any number of websites and just exchange it. Sometimes I don't even need to log in or sign up. Um, right. We we represent one of those websites, um, but if I wanted to buy some Bitcoin with real dot with with <laughs> with dollars with with government currencies, well then yeah. it's a whole production. You know, then it's all production. Then I have to the, right. I have to un- undergo what's called CIP, Customer Identification Protocol, which is just the first leg of what everybody knows KYC, Know Your Customer. Mm. Um yeah, practically speaking, it's it's a hassle. And you know, look the the laws are set up for specific reasons, that they they control for certain risks and they require that kind of thing. But the well, reason why, why? Yeah, so well, but, yeah,
0: so the reason
1: why is not so much legal. You could you could do it either way. It's commercial, it's the banks. It's because banks are required to take a risk-based approach, and every time their regulators come through the door and open up the bank's books, it's, it's usually FDIC, is usually the regulator that does this. They open up the bank's books and they point at accounts and they say, Oh, here's an account. It's for the hot dog. Th- it's for the taco stand down the street. Hmm. <laughs> risk risk is medium, whatever it is. Here's another account. Oh, it's for a Bitcoin exchanger. Oh, well, that is ultra high risk. We want to see all of your onboarding policies and procedures. We want to see this. We want to see that. And they dive, dive, dive into it. It's an easy target. It's a big, it's, it's, it's a big hairy mole on the face of these banks balance sheets. And so mm. the banks pass that, all those requirements onto the customer. And so that's why there are only, I don't know, maybe two, probably just one bank in the whole country with um with with robust onboarding uh, policies and procedures active uh in onboarding bitcoin companies, so it's banking okay. it's because it, it's because at the bottom of the value stack there's a bank, and that's what makes it so hard to get into and out of the financial system or each financial system I should say
0: huh. Yeah, because this manifests itself and, um, you know, there's plenty of websites where you can trade crypto and very few that will let you, you know, use, um, for instance, in the U.S., U.S. dollars to buy Bitcoin or Ethereum or those kinds of things or sell into them. Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely right.
1: That's absolutely right. And it's, and it's, it's ironic. I don't know if, that's, if it's tragic irony or poetic irony. It's all these different kinds of irony. You can, <laughs> you can you can consult Alanis Morissette on it, but the idea is that the only the the real impediment with getting into Bitcoin isn't Bitcoin. It's it's getting out of the financial system that Bitcoin is supposed to allow you to get out of. Um, so it's it is <laughs> it is ironic.
0: You. Yeah, but what I haven't seen is, you know, for instance, U.S. dollar to buy Dash or U.S. dollar to buy most of the crypto's. It seems like Bitcoin is the one that is probably one of the only channels to get into the crypto world. Um, do you think it's going to be very unlikely that banks will even want to have the headache of dealing with a whole bunch of different, you know, cryptocurrencies and allowing you to go in and out of cash with them?
1: Um well, I mean that's that's the emergent property of all this. The Bitcoin becomes the bridge currency, and mm. it's it's not the U.S. dollar anymore. Um, the it's easy to go from Bitcoin to all these other currencies, which admittedly have very small market caps and very very little sway over the market in general, over the financial system in general. Um, but Bitcoin becomes the more fluid currency. It's the more flexible currency. It's more widely it's 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 more widely able to translate between other currencies.
0: Yeah, do you think that's um that's gonna change anytime soon or it'll stay the bridge currency and you know, the other cryptos are just gonna be kinda also rands and they're gonna be dependent on Bitcoin to, to link them to the you know, the government currency world.
1: I have no idea. And if I did, I would be day trading crypto all day instead of handing out legal (laughs) advice.
0: Very good. Well, I have to ask. These are the things that I notice. And, you know, not many people seem to talk about it or nobody does. So that's why I bring them up. (laughs) All right. Um, I probably won't ask you any more questions. I think I've questioned you to death. But, um, you know, last couple. So who do you recommend seek you out and what stage of development should they seek you out? You know, if they're a company that's either in the space um, or aspiring to be in the space, um, when's the best time to come see you and, you know, who would be an ideal client for you? Well, it's probably an unsurprising answer, but you should
1: come to me early. You know, I'm not like a plumber where just to show up costs you, know, you know, whatever, however much your, your local plumber costs you. you know, lawyers pretty much will, you know, will, will, will talk to people who need help. And that's, that's what we do. We, we come, we, we, we can give gut checks. We can do give sort of a finger in the wind answer and we don't charge you for it. You know, it's, it, there's really no reason not to call a lawyer early. Um, there's plenty of reasons not to pay a lawyer early. I mean, sometimes you, 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 just don't need to, in fact, most of the time you just don't need to, but it's a, it's a, you know, it's a free conversation to have with someone who's been down the road a hundred times. So if the question, the answer to the question when is early as soon as possible. Um, okay. the answer to the question is who should, who should, well, look, if you're moving money around, right? There's obviously money services issues. If you're moving, if you're trying to raise money, if you're trying to raise money, I should say, there are securities issues. If you're allowing people to gain synthetic exposure, there are commodity derivatives issues. Um, if, you're, if you're making any money, there's tax issues. Mm. There, if you're allowing people to wager, stake, gamble, or bet, um, there are state gambling law issues. Um, it's it's this is, this is this is why I say you should err on the side of caution. Obviously, we want a lot of people in the funnel. We want a lot of flow of people coming to us for help. But I mean, it, it works out pretty well because you don't usually you don't have to pay for it. It's you could. It's not just me. It's pretty much any of the any of the lawyers in the space are happy to have a conversation. And that may not always be the case. I mean right now, I don't know, four out of every five conversations I have with new people are really interesting. One of them is totally boring and lame and no one wants to have it, but and that's 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 just that's just, you know, business. That's 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 everybody. But we're in a place right now, we're in a very exciting time when almost all the conversations I have with new people and all lawyers who are who, who are trying to succeed in this space, all those conversations that they have most of them are really interesting. Usually somebody trying to do something new and interesting in a very cool way. Um, and we count ourselves among the lucky, I think, because most lawyers have to sit behind a desk and like securitize the same asset over and over and over again and push papers around. And mm. We don't we don't have to do that. Instead, we get to have free conversations with interesting people. So
0: not a bad, okay. not, not a bad setup. Well, hopefully this qualifies as one of the interesting ones. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly does. All right, Marco. Well, thank you for taking the time. We've covered a lot of ground, but i you know I wanted to just give listeners and uh, you know companies listening an idea of what uh, what to look out for and what to do. So I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to almost here.